Since we met here last Sunday morning, we had uh, the birth of a granddaughter, our son-in-law Chris and our oldest daughter Michael Porter gave us a, a granddaughter. Her name is Collier Eileen. Eileen. She was born last Sunday afternoon and it worked out very well because we had a family picture scheduled to be taken yesterday and we were hoping that things would progress and that all of the family would be able to be there. We met yesterday at 4.30 at a park down off of 3040. Jana Cotton took the pictures for us and she suggested a place and 16 of us and that's six grandchildren in that 16, two of which are just several weeks old. We met to get a picture taken, family groupings and a big family picture. We pulled up and it was a beautiful park. The kids were dressed up fairly nicely, which lasted about 10 nanoseconds when we got to the park because this park had leaves that they could pick up and throw at each other. This park had a creek running through it, and a creek is a child magnet as far as I'm concerned because whenever there's water flowing in a creek, what do children want to do? They want to go down and explore. It was an interesting family picture that we took yesterday. By the time we got everything done, and we did get everything done, we walked away and I trust that the pictures that we will receive as a result of that time will be those that will make us smile. But the park, the children, all of us, you could get out of your car, you could touch, you could smell, you could not really taste because you don't want to eat things at a park like that, but you could, you could almost, all of your senses take in everything that comes with being out of doors in a place like that. That's what we want this Christmas to be for each one of us. We want it to be one that allows us to take in with the senses that God has given to us, that of sight, that of touch, that of taste, that of smell, that of the ability to, to see those things and to experience and to hear everything that Christmas involves. I want to stress to you that today's the day to begin. Those readings that pick up today, as we read through this coming week, we're going to be talking about that sense of sight, of what our eyes can take in. You know how beautiful the colors of Christmas can be. And one of the things that many people like to do is to wait until all of the neighborhoods are decked out and you simply drive and visit those places, look at the lights. We even spent last Sunday evening hanging the green, hanging the greenery, the decorations in this worship center. And you can see that we are ready to celebrate the Christmas season with the evergreen, with the colors of red and green and the purple in the banners here that symbolize the royalty of the fact that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. So join us this season. Don't miss out. We begin today by looking at a passage that we're going to look at in the middle of this week in our daily Bible reading guides. It's one that concerns the ability to see, to perceive, and it has everything to do with Christmas. Though this passage that we look at today from Matthew chapter 20 
doesn't have the Christmas story as we tell it or as we read it in Scripture. It's not found here. But it has everything to do with how we approach this Christmas season. Matthew 20, verses 29 to 34, involves a miracle. A miracle that Jesus performed for two blind men. Let's look at it. It says, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet. But they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and he called them. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and they followed him. Seeing, the ability to perceive, the ability to recognize, to just be able to take all things in. To experience them. This miracle, the healing of two blind men. We don't know if they were blind since birth or not. That's really not the point. The fact that at this moment they could not see. And they called upon Jesus. There's a lot going on in this passage. Just notice a couple of things here. There was the simple fact that these two blind beggars, if you will, Hearing that Jesus was walking along the path, was within earshot of them. You notice their cry. They cried out, Lord, Son of David. You see, their understanding was not what our understanding of Jesus is. They didn't understand that Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They didn't understand him to be the kind of Messiah that he truly came to be. They understood that in their culture that the king, the Messiah, would be a son of David, which meant to them that they were looking for someone who had power, someone who was going to rise to the, the upper echelons of government in the country of Israel. That's all they knew. That's where their faith began. And it was enough. They would learn more as time went on. But they came to Jesus and they cried out with the only sense of understanding that they had, Son of David, mighty ruler, promised redeemer. We want your help. What's the real need that is here? The real need is expressed in the 34th verse where it says Jesus was moved with compassion. The real need of the moment, the real, the real tipping point, if you will, for making anything happen was the fact that people had to respond with compassion. You notice that the ones who were along the way, the crowd, most of whom could see, their response was anything but compassionate. Matter of fact, they just told them to be quiet. They tried to, to push them out of the way. The crowd sternly told them, it says, to be quiet, which means that they just told them to get out of the way, that they weren't needed, that they were a nuisance. But Jesus heard them, and Jesus moved with compassion. He understood and he felt the need of the moment, and he healed them. 
And then we see that they had a response to give, to make. They had a choice based upon the fact that now they could see, based upon the fact that they cried out to the son of David, not once but twice, when they were told to be quiet and shut up and go back to their corner and just beg for the rest of their lives. They refused. They wanted help. And they were going to be heard. And Jesus moved with compassion, opened their eyes, and their response was the correct response. And that is, the scripture says in that last verse, the 34th verse, that they responded by following him. That's amazing. They cried out in, with a title that showed they really didn't understand who he was. O mighty ruler, O son of David, come and save us, open our eyes. And Jesus responded with compassion. And then they followed him. What else could they have done? They could have done many other things. They could have done what most of us do. When God comes to us and meets us at our point of need, we are relieved and we feel thankful for about what? Five minutes? Maybe the remaining hours of that day when something tremendous happened and God answered a prayer or we felt his presence with us like we've never felt it before. And then what? Then we begin to turn back to our own ways. We begin to do the things that we want to do. But these two men, having their eyes opened, based upon the compassion that Jesus felt, responded by following him. It's amazing what happens when you see things as they truly are. Now, what I want to do for a few minutes is I want to ask you to back up with me. The reading for the day out of the daily Bible readings midweek is going to be just what we read. Matthew chapter 20 verses 29 through 34. And the question there is going to be about seeing. And there are going to be some things that you can do this week. They're listed at the end of each week. Some practical applications for you and your family. Some challenges for this coming week as you read the passages. What can you do to help open your own eyes to help you have a a proper focus in the holiday season? Well, you're going to read that passage and you're going to be challenged to to follow up with some, some practical things. But what I want to do for the remaining moments we have this morning is go back and read the verses that come before Matthew 20, verse 29. Because what builds up to this miracle, I think, is critical to our understanding of what God really wants to do in our lives. It begins with going back to verse 20, where we see the true desire of most of us. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And Jesus said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. Okay, now, we just read Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34, where Jesus, moving through the city heard the cry of two desperate blind men and responded with compassion. And they, in turn, responded by following him. But the verses preceding that, right before this miracle happened, right before the eyes of these blind men were opened, right before they received their sight, 
what we just read took place. It says, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now, let's, let's make sure we know who we're talking about here. The sons of Zebedee were James and John. They were two of the twelve disciples of Jesus. Their mother, when you put together other passages in the New Testament, in particular, the group of women who were standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. This lady is mentioned as being there, and she's given a name in one of the other Gospels, and her name was Salome. Salome could have well been a sister to Mary, the mother of Jesus, which would have made the sons of Zebedee first cousins of Jesus. There's one interpretation that... It's very defensible. Others would say, no, it's unclear as to exactly who the identity of this woman is. Regardless, we know that Salome was the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, who were two of the twelve apostles that Jesus chose to follow him. And she makes this request, showing the real true need for most of us, and that is selfishness. I mean, you heard her. He said to her, what do you wish? She said, command that when your kingdom comes, these two sons of mine, she brought them with her, that one be on your right and one be on your left, the places of honor. Selfishness. Interesting. Mark's gospel records this same event, but he views it that the two brothers actually came. Maybe the mother was with them, but he puts these words in the mouths of James and John. Either way, the true need for most of us is wrapped up in what we can get for ourselves. It's wrapped up in selfishness. I have not done a scientific study on this statistic, but I would, I think I'm right. If you were to interview and to ask any coach of any team, starting with the youngest children who are involved in any sport, going all the way up through the college ranks, even into the professional ranks. If you were to ask a coach, a soccer coach, golf coach, basketball coach, football coach, baseball coach, swimming coach, doesn't matter. Take your pick of whatever activity it is. Dance coach, cheerleading coach, doesn't matter. The one Thing every coach will tell you is their ultimate nightmare. It's the parents. It's the parents. It's mom and dad. Have you ever seen it played out? You know, my kids played sports. We, they were on teams. And I remember just watching with my mouth dropped open. Moms and dads who were ready to commit crimes of violence against coaches because their children, what, didn't get enough playing time? Weren't playing the position that they were destined to play? I've got, I have a friend who lives in Frisco. He's a member of First Baptist Church Frisco. And one of the ministries that that church does, it's a great one, is called Upward Basketball. And the whole idea behind upward basketball is that you bring children in and you put them on teams and they don't keep score and everybody plays the same amount of time and everything's supposed to be, you know, 
on level ground in upper basket. That, that's why you choose. That's why you go to that program. It is to help kids understand the rules, perhaps. But one of the, the cardinal rules of upward sports, whether it's basketball or anything else that they sponsor, is that all children play, and all children play amount, the same amount of time, and you don't keep score. Everyone's a winner. And Johnny told me just the other day, he said, I'm involved in upward basketball. And he had this look on his face. And I said, you know, what's the deal? I said, this is the ultimate easy sport. And he goes, Stephen, he said, if they can't argue and gripe, if parents can't make an issue about playing time and scorekeeping, this is what they do. My son cannot practice except on Tuesdays at 4.30 in the afternoon. And that's when my son is going to practice. And that's the way it's going to be. He said, my whole life is revolved around junior being able to practice when his mother and father want him to practice. He said, it's enough to drive you crazy. See, it's just within us, isn't it? Selfishness. And we see it right here. Can you, can you imagine this scene? Here, here's Jesus. He's, he's almost to the point where he's going to go to the cross. And after all the time he spent with these 12 disciples, here comes Salome with James on one arm and John on the other, brings them in. Sits them before Jesus and asks for one small favor that my sons get the places of honor. It's amazing. You see how this idea of being able to see things, being able to perceive things, has a whole lot to do with how you experience Christmas. We didn't print the the verses to follow. But Jesus, just let me paraphrase, Jesus looked at her and he said, Salome, you don't even know or understand what you've just asked. He said, do you understand the cup that I have to drink? And do you think your two sons, maybe he looked at James and John and said, do you men think that you can drink the cup? that you have to drink in order to truly follow me? They answer immediately, absolutely, we're able. A whole lot going on here. <laughs> we see the, the selfishness of, of a mother. We see the, the downright self-centeredness of one. And she meant well. But is that what Jesus really wanted to hear? Is that really at the heart of what he's been trying to convince these people of all this time? He just announced for the second or third time that he was going to Jerusalem. He would be nailed to a cross. And this is the response he gets. Pretty please, can my two boys be first in line? Can they play more than anybody else? Can't you see that they're destined for greatness? It shows a lot about these two boys, these two men, rather, James and John. It shows their ambition, and their ambition isn't all that wrong. It's not all that evil at all. They wanted to drink the cup, they said, that showed their faith and their loyalty. And above all, we see that Jesus, you know, if if it had been me in this place, I would have sat this family down, and I would have benched them. All right, mom, you come to me with this request. This is what I'm going to do. James and John, 
sit on the bench. Not just the rest of the game, the rest of the season. That's what they would have deserved if you're asking me. But what did Jesus do? Did he write them off? No. Did he rebuke them? Yes, I think he did. But he did it in such a way that he showed them that he cared, that he showed them that they were still included in his great plans. We see his kindness. We see his honesty. We see his ability to trust, even when I'm sure he was very, very disappointed in their request. Then he tells us in verses 25 to 28, this is right up before this great miracle where he opened the eyes of these two blind men. He tells us the real test of a sensible Christmas. Look what he says. He says, but Jesus called them to himself and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. For whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. See, we've got the real, the true issue. The mother of James and John brought it to Jesus. It was selfishness, self-centeredness. What can I get? What can I get for my own? Can't you see that they deserve places of honor? And then Jesus nails down the, the true thing, the true sensible action that will make Christmas what it's supposed to be. The real action that will make you and me the, kinds of, the kind of followers of Jesus that receive those places of honor, whatever they are. And what is it? He said it clearly. To serve. To serve others. You know, you may need to be reminded that in Matthew twenty twenty six he says, if you want to be great, you shall be the servant of all. That word servant is the same word for deacon. That's why we have deacons in our church. Because deacons run everything? No. Because they have to approve of everything? No. Because they serve. And in their service, they what? They lead. In their humility and in their willingness to give above and beyond and, and set an example. And by doing all of those things, the true meaning of a deacon... By fulfilling that position, if you will. Fulfilling that calling, more like it. You end up what? You end up being able to lead a church and to serve a church. Where everyone has this sense of calling to serve others. So it's really wrapped up in the fact that we have got to come to our senses, don't we? We've got to face up to what our true motivation is. And for most of us, it's nothing but self-centeredness. It's nothing but selfishness. 
And we have got to come to a point to where we come to our senses and own up to our sinfulness and confess it and follow Jesus, serving others. I'll go back to what Salome, what this mother of two boys, two young men requested. Go back, just in your mind. Here comes Salome with James and John. She approaches Jesus. Jesus asks, what is it that she wants? She says, I have a favor to ask. I want you to take my two sons and I want you to give them places of honor. That's all she said. His answer that we just read serves as his response, his rebuke, if you will. He totally put aside, for it seems, put aside what her question was and what her desire was. And he focused on what it truly meant to be great. But think with me for a moment. Salome wanted, because she loved her sons, because she was wanting to push them to excellence. She wanted them to have these places of honor. What she missed out on was she was wanting to give them honor, but she did it in the wrong way. Her path to greatness in her mind was one that was born out of society, was born out of a competitive spirit, was born out of the desire of any mom or dad that shows their true feelings when they approach the coach. But what ultimately happened here? What ultimately came to pass? Well, if you move forward just a few chapters in Matthew, if you go to the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, 24th, 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke, you will find that Salome is now standing with a group of women at the foot of the cross. She was the mother of the sons of Zebedee, listed right there, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and another Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary of Magdalene. And here is Salome. And she is gathered at the foot of the cross, looking up at the crucified Christ. And she hears these words as she looks and sees Jesus. We know that it is in those first couple of hours of the crucifixion that lasted from nine in the morning till three that afternoon. In those first couple of hours, I always called it mid-morning, maybe 10, 10, 30, that Jesus began to speak. And one of the statements he said regarded his own mother, Mary. You remember? He looked at John, the beloved disciple, one of the sons of Zebedee. And he said, mother, looking at his mother, Mary, Behold, this is your son, looking at John. And he looked at John and said, John, behold your mother. And in a sense, he was entrusting the care of his mother Mary to one of the sons of Zebedee, to John, the son of Salome. And I see Salome standing here at the foot of the cross, and she is hearing as she's seen, as she is witnessing this event, And she puts her head down. Because now she knows when she looks up, 
she's going to look up and she's going to see Jesus in the middle. But she's not going to see a place of honor on his right or a place of honor on his left. She's going to see another cross on his right. And she's going to see another cross on his left. And she's going to understand that when she so selfishly asked for a place of honor to be given to her sons, James and John. And Jesus responded by saying, do you even understand what you're asking? Can your sons drink of the cup that I must drink? And when they answered heartily, yes, we can. Mary is going to understand that to truly be honored alongside of Jesus will call upon each and every person to drink of a cup of suffering and service. And how little she probably felt when she remembered her own words. Can one of my sons be on your right and one of my sons be on your left when your kingdom comes? And here she looks up at Jesus and he has just entrusted the care of his own mother to one of her sons. And she sees on either side of Jesus crosses of suffering. Think ahead with me. James and John answered readily, Yes, Lord, we will drink of the cup you have given to us. We will share in your sufferings. Acts 12, 2. One of the Herods, long after Jesus had ascended into heaven, was trying to rid the world of Christian influence. And he decided to target the leaders of the early church. And Acts 12, 2 said, Herod had James, the son of Zebedee, put to death. First martyr of the Christian movement was the son of Zebedee, the son of Salome, James. Did he indeed drink of the cup of sufferings of Jesus? Yes, he did. And that other son, John, he would drink of a cup in a different way. He would not be martyred at his, as his brother. He would not be held up as an example by one of the Herods that this is what's happened. It's going to happen to you if you trust this man Jesus. If you have any more of these prayer meetings, if you try to congregate and have these things you call churches anymore, that you will see the same thing happen to you that happened to the son of Zebedee, who should have stayed with his original occupation being a fisherman. Look how far his commitment got him. No, John's cup was different. Instead of his life being snuffed out early in martyrdom, John, as best we can tell, lived to be almost a hundred years old, some people would say. No one will really ever know, but we do know this. He lived out a life of banishment and exile on an island called Patmos. And there the Roman emperor decided instead of making this brother a martyr, he would just removing, where he could have no influence whatsoever, where no one could stay in touch with him, where it didn't matter what kind of transportation you could avail yourself of. You could never get to that remote island called Patmos, that little rock cropping in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. I won't have to worry about John the Apostle anymore. And so John began to drink of a cup that included exile and banishment, but he also began to drink of a cup that included 
writing one of the most amazing books that we find in God's word, the book of Revelation. For it's John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, the son of Salome, who was able through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write out what has happened, what is happening now, and what is yet to come. All centered around the Alpha and the Omega, the Lamb of God, Jesus the Christ. And to think it all culminated in Jesus being moved to compassion to heal two blind men who cried out on the heels of a discussion with a frustrated mother and looking into the eyes of two young men and challenging them to serve. See, for me, this puts this Christmas into a whole different perspective. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come to our senses today, to see you, to trust you, to love you, to serve you. Father, I pray that in these moments of invitation that we respond with with right choices, with faithful choices. It's in Christ's name we offer our prayer. Amen. We close our service this morning with a a hymn of commitment, a hymn of invitation. I believe that the Scripture tells us that when God speaks, He gives us an opportunity to respond. And so that's why we, we close out every time we gather to worship with an opportunity for us to make choices, to choose. It could be that you're here today and you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life. You have never asked him to forgive your sin, to heal your sin-sick soul. Maybe you've been to church. Maybe people told you you've got to do this in order to become a Christian. You've got to do that. Well, just remember two blind men who cried out, Son of David, they didn't really understand what to call Jesus. They just knew he could save them. He could heal them. So if you're here today and your desire is for forgiveness for salvation, then I want you to come forward. We're going to have deacons and ministers standing here to pray with you, to help you, to guide you. Maybe you're here today and you know the Lord, just never told anyone, never followed him in believer's baptism. Come forward and profess your faith in Jesus today. God may want you to join this church today. This may be where he wants you to plug in and to serve. Maybe you're here, a single adult, we have a place for you. Maybe you're here with your family, we have a place for your family. You need a place to belong, a place to call your own, a place to serve. And so we offer our church, our congregation, as a place where that can happen. Just come forward today and join our church. Maybe you're here and you simply need prayer. Maybe you're churned up about how you're going to make it through these next few weeks. Maybe you're already looking for the end. You just want to endure it. Maybe you need prayer about that. Maybe there's some other issue in your life for which you really don't need to come make a public decision, but there's people standing usually right over here at the bottom of these stairs, right over here at the bottom of those stairs. And the only reason they're there is for you to come up and say, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? We'll do that. Whatever the issue is, we're here to help. And then for most of us here, maybe the... 
activities you've shown when you were a parent with your own children toward a coach. Maybe that just reveals in such a way that seems almost comical what really is here in your heart. Selfishness. Ask God to open your eyes, to see the needs, to be moved with compassion, and to act. That's our invitation. We stand together. We wait for you here in the front. Won't you come forward right now?